0: nice mild Monday. Yeah. So, it's good. See everybody. We're gonna start time in prayer, so let's just uh, take a moment and ask God's blessing. Father, we thank you for uh, your word, and we thank you for your word to us. I pray that we would be able to receive uh, a living word tonight that we'd be able to receive what you have what you want to say what you want to speak into each one of us I pray we have ears to hear and I pray that we would drop any um, safeguards that would keep us from being able to receive what you want to say any barriers that we've put up to try and keep ourselves the way we are we gotta pray for change tonight I pray that you would lead us to uh, moments of change tonight and i ask you god that we'd be open and ready to receive it uh I just ask for your power uh, we pray god for the holy spirit to lead us to direct us and to teach us for we ask you in jesus name amen 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 We so need some bibles so i encourage you to open up to joshua chapter one very familiar verse doesn't mean it's not a good one it just means it's familiar so we're going to go to joshua chapter one and uh, verse nine and if anytime you read joshua just keep in mind uh, as you're looking through the beginning books of the bible uh, joshua is almost literally the continuation of deuteronomy uh, as as the historical books go there. So you have Deuteronomy, and at, at some point in Deuteronomy, most people believe that uh, the writing of Deuteronomy was taken over by someone other than Moses, perhaps Joshua. Uh, we don't know. But there's a definite flow that goes from Deuteronomy into Joshua. And a couple things that I think are are kind of interesting about that. You've got one story that continues on uh, and it, it, it brings up a point about how God works and what God's doing. And the point is this, that Moses is a central figure in the history of Israel. Uh, there's no doubt about it. There they were the patriarchs and there were those that came before the patriarchs and it leads us into the, the captivity in Egypt for Israel and Moses becomes really a central figure in the history of Israel and, and so I thought it was kind of interesting when you, when you look at that and you look at how the flow goes through Deuteronomy uh, to Joshua and that flow goes through the man Moses to the man Joshua and, and it shows us that God's work continues that God's work is going to continue, that it does continue and it is not dependent on one person. And I think strategically God used Moses and I think Moses, uh, God called Moses specifically for that time, that place. He called Aaron specifically for that time, that place. I think Moses went about doing what God called him to do and he came to the end of what God had called him to do and then another was raised up through Joshua. And so Joshua was raised up in time and he fulfilled what God had for him to do and then as you read through, you see different people judges, kings, others that God would raise up in season, in time uh, to lead his people, prophets that he would raise up in season and in time to lead his people and so as you go from Deuteronomy to Joshua one story but you see two different key figures that are leading Israel during that time and so I just wanna I'm encouraged by that always uh, only because it just shows that really God does use individuals he uses each of us and we have our individual things we're supposed to do and yet when our time is up or when it, it, whatever happens, happens. There's somebody else. And there's somebody that God raises up. And there's somebody that God's going to use. And so uh, it's just a kind of flow of what God has and what he's doing. So uh, Joshua 1, nine is where we're at. And uh, the, it depends on what version you're reading. But I want to talk to you about commands. Because there's several commands that are given in Joshua 1, nine. And I want you to see them as commands. And I want you to see them as, as commands to you. Uh, my version that I have right here is the New International Reader's version. It says, here is what I am commanding you to do. And the key word there is command, and then another key word is you. Those are the two that I want you to think about. And when you hear a command, what's a command? Is that optional? No? No. Is it it if you feel like it? Not really. Uh, We we have someone that we are obliged to obey. He's requiring a personal response from me and from you. And so there is an obligation that is reflective of all that he's done and who he is in our lives. So, as Israel was listening to God through Joshua command them, they had an obligation. Each one of them had an obligation, and they were going to have to answer that obligation as individuals. You know, we like to think of the children of Israel, we like to think of the nation of Israel as this mass of people, but they were really individuals, they were individual families, they were people that were divided up into tribes. and. They formed a nation, and yet at the core of that, if you go all the way down, it was just individuals that had to answer. It was individuals that needed to, they were either going to obey, and they were going to do what God called them to do, or they weren't. And and you see instances where some of them did and some of them didn't. You see instances where certain tribes wanted out. And they wanted to settle in a different place other than the promised land. And you saw other things and decisions that were being made. And all that highlights for us is that they weren't just responding en masse. They weren't just responding as one voice, but they were all individual voices of people that were making individual decisions. And they were saying, okay, this is where we're at. This is where I'm at. So when God commanded them, it required a personal response, a personal responsibility. God shows Himself faithful, He shows Himself mighty, He shows Himself worthy. It's kind of like we look at worship. Why do you worship God? Well He says we're supposed to, so that's one valid answer to why we worship God is that we worship God based on His command that He wants to be worshiped. But why else do we worship God? What elicits a personal response out of you toward God that He provides, maybe? That he is good to us, maybe. That he comforts you, maybe. That he has revealed himself to you in a personal way, maybe. That he saved you, could be. That he gave his life for you, and it's the least you can do, maybe. I don't know if you think like that, I have no idea. And when I ask people why they worship, you're going to get a bunch of different responses. And, I, and you know, honestly, if you, it depends on what day you ask me, I'll probably have a different response each time you ask me. Because there's some Sundays I come in here, or some days when I get up, I don't feel like worshiping. But I'm going to worship Him because He commands it. I'm going to worship Him because I consider Him worthy. When the Bible talks about bring a sacrifice of praise. A sacrifice is something of value to you, that you had just as well keep as to give up. Alright, if you think of it in terms of a lamb, you can keep that lamb and eat it, or you can give it up and sacrifice. That's up to you. And so the sacrifice of praise, think about it that way, is that that's something you can keep for yourself, that's something you can keep to yourself, or you can make a bigger decision whether you feel like it or not, Knowing that this is what's required of you and you can praise that day. And you can worship. On better days, you ask me why I worship. Because God's good. Or God provides. Or God has saved me. Or God has given His life for me. It's the least I can do. Or whatever other reason I just said. But that's not every time. And it's not the same every time I come before Him. But it demands a response. When God commands something. And if the least common denominator my worship is, he told me to, then so be it. So be it, if that's the only reason I'm worshiping him. Because that's a good reason. And he's demanded a response from me. And I'm willing to sacrifice, I'm willing to give that sacrifice, because he's commanded it. So I'm going to do it. So we we all make that decision. The only thing I'll tell you is, is that you, I, we, as his children, we as the benefactors of his grace and of his sacrifice and of all that he's done for us, of salvation, of life, and that more abundantly, and I could go on and on. But we are obliged to obey him. We have an obligation. And if you see that as optional, you're exercising free will, but you're a jerk. All right? That's what I got to say about that. You can exercise your free will, but man, that's just a dick move. You're obliged to obey Him because of everything He's done for you. And if you can't see that, you might want to recheck your faith. You might want to recheck what you really believe and who you really believe God is in your life. And all that he's done. So, here are the commands. We'll just take it one by one. First one is be strong. God commands us to be strong. And you can say, well, I'm not a strong person. Well, that's why you need a command to be strong. Because maybe you're not good at that. Maybe I'm not good at that. Maybe you're not good at that. And so we have a command to be strong. Well, I don't feel like being strong. I understand that. And you can exercise (laughs) your free will and not be strong, but you're obliged to obey Him. And so when He says to be strong, it's a command. And he says it here. Here is what I am commanding you, you, me, to do. First thing, be strong. Now let's look at some Bible verses. Ephesians uh, chapter six and verse ten. Uh, somebody else, look up Philippians four thirteen, and somebody else, Ephesians three sixteen. We'll stick to a few verses for each one but I, I just want to make sure you understand these aren't some some random commands that came out of nowhere. Uh these get repeated a lot. So he means it. He said it and he said it again. Yeah he's he means it. So being strong. Ephesians six ten is the first one, Philippians four thirteen is the second one and Ephesians three sixteen is the third one. So anybody have Ephesians six ten. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Okay. All right. Finally, again, he went through a whole bunch of instructions. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Okay, Philippians 4.13. I can do all this through him who strengthens me. All right. So not only does he command us to be strong, he strengthens us. So he's helping us out, alright, he gives us strength to to do it, so so we're like in remedial strength class, okay, (laughs) where we're not only told to take the test, someone's sitting there and giving us the answers to the test, so we'll do well, (laughs) alright, okay, it's just a decision on our part that we've decided to be strong. And so, if we're not feeling particularly strong, or whatever it is, He's strong, and He wants to be strong through us. And we're allowing that to happen. We're getting the help we need. We're not able to do it on our own. Let's say we don't have that, alright? We don't feel it. He's given it to us. But the decision has to be made. It's not to wallow in our weakness, or whatever you want to call it, but we decide that there's a strength That God has called us to. He's commanded us to to be strong. And then He helps us. You know, the the writer there in Philippians is saying, I can do all things. How? Through Christ who strengthens me. Well, He gives us the strength. But making the declaration, I can do all things. Making the declaration, I will be strong. Making the declaration, I will obey the command of God over my life. That's a decision that we need to make. That's a decision you need to make. All of us need to make. You go to those verses where Paul is talking about you know, his strength is made perfect in weakness. We already know that. In the sense that we already know we have weaknesses. We already know that we, we have uh, blind areas in our life that we can't see certain things. We have areas in our life where we keep failing. We have areas in our life where we're not very good at things. We have areas in our life where we, we, we tend to not do so well. I think we get that part. But what he says in that is that even in those areas that are so glaring to us, obvious, obvious areas of weakness. His strength, He makes His strength perfect in us. So the idea here is be strong. Be strong. That's a decision that you're gonna make is to be strong. Realizing that He's helping you. That He's providing for you. That He's giving you what you need. That Christ has has done all that is necessary except making a decision for you. So God's saying, be strong. Philippians, excuse me, Ephesians 3.16. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. All right. Through the riches of His glory, it may be granted to you to be strengthened by His power through His Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that's been given to each one of us. The Holy Spirit that has been given to us as a seal that we're God's. That we belong to Him. The Holy Spirit that was promised by Jesus. The Holy Spirit that was prophesied by John the Baptist. The Holy Spirit that was again declared on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit that again that we heard Jesus when he breathed into the disciples in John chapter 20, the Holy Spirit that each one of us has received gives us strength. He gives us strength. So, what's the problem? We have a command that we're obliged to obey, we're obligated. We've been given the means by which to obey it. So if we have it in our hearts, if you have it in your mind to obey the command, get up, and be strong, he'll give you the means by which to do that. But that would be an act of your will to be strong. To make that decision. To not just lay down and take it to not just roll over, to not just accept your lot in life or whatever that is. I don't, I don't even know. But to be strong. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is uh, be courageous. That's the second command is to be courageous. And, you know, and a lot of times we look at that, that word courage and we think, well, certain people are courageous and certain people aren't. We're commanded to be. You're commanded to be courageous. I'm commanded to be courageous. There's nowhere in the Bible where we're not commanded. I mean, we're commanded to be something else. And I could come up with a couple of words here, but I just want to say. <coughs> Actually, it speaks right up against... Yeah, the cowardly. <clears throat> Not good. Not good. There's a there's an anti-verse to everything I'm reading <laughs> here. It's Revelation 21.8. Mm-hmm. It describes all the people that are cast into the pit. Turner Burns. Yeah, man. Don't you know a song about this? <clears throat> a little song, man, yeah. Yeah, they teach you a little song about that. So you remember, all right? The cowardly shall find, they don't find their place in the kingdom. There's no place for the cowardly in the kingdom. Nowhere. So, so we're commanded to be courageous. So, so a couple verses here. 2 Timothy 1.7. 2 Timothy 1.7. Second verse would be 1 Corinthians 16.13. So 2 Timothy 1.7. Should I read that? So the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Alright, so that, that verse says that the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid. So, whenever you're feeling particularly cowardly or timid, what can you assume is going on spiritually the devil Attack. is screwing with you that's the devil right? now and I'm, try- I'm not trying to make it sound like you know demons are everywhere or whatever they are but i'm not trying to make it sound like that what i'm trying to say is they're here but what i'm trying to say is is that God, and this verse is really clear, God has not given us a spirit that produces cowardice. He has not. And so when we are feeling that way particularly, when we find ourselves in that position of feeling timid or cowardly, we need to understand that there is a spiritual war going on, there is a spiritual battle going on in your mind that you need to stand up to. But you need to treat it for what it is. It is a spiritual battle. And there are enough breathing techniques on the face of the earth to get you through that spiritual battle. Alright? That battle is going to be won spiritually not physically. That battle is going to be won in the spiritual realm not the emotional realm. Well if I just calm myself down I'll be okay. No. You've got to win the battle spiritually. So, whatever that is, whatever that situation, that has to be attacked spiritually, hopefully by the Word of God. In other words, God has not given me a spirit to feel this way and just rebuke it, recognize it for what it is. I have not been given the spirit by God at all. And rebuke it. Take authority over it. Don't live under it. Don't let it torture you and cause you problems and keep you from what God has for you. (laughs) That's got to be rebuked. That spiritual battle needs to be won. And so I just want to make it clear, that's why I picked this verse here, is that there's something more going on. A lot of times we don't like to see the spiritual side of things. It just seems, well, whatever, you know, like we live in a physical world and so we're bombarded with physical world stuff, and yet there's a whole spiritual world out there that is affecting us, whether we want it or not. It is. And people who don't believe in God are being affected by the spiritual world. People that don't recognize angels and demons are being affected by the spiritual world. People that want to hear about God or hear about the demonic or hear about angels are being affected by the spiritual world. Christians that don't want to hear about supernatural beings are being affected by the spiritual world. They are whether you want to hear about it or not, whether you want to believe it or not, you're still being affected by it. The most stoic of all Christians has been affected by the spiritual world even though they don't think they are. And that's the greatest deception of all. That's kind of like the uh, C.S. Lewis with the screw tape letters. Where he wrote that book he's talking about like demons talking amongst themselves. The easiest prey that they would come across people that don't believe. They don't believe they exist. And they talk about it in the book. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not saying even, even C.S. Lewis could see that. Even C.S. Lewis could understand that. He got it. It's kind of an entertaining book looking at that, too. About how ridiculous we are sometimes in our disbelief of what's all around us. What's described in the scriptures of what we've been told is true. We don't even have to guess about it. It's right in the book. It's right there. And so the battles that we face like that, and this is a battle. You can, you can recognize this is a battle because it's proclaimed such, as such. Right here. And use the scripture against it. Use the scripture against that, that uh, the, the timidity, that, that, that cowardice that, that comes up sometimes. This is not a spirit of God. Second one is uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. I read that? Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Mm. Be on your guard. In other words, what? Be aware. Maybe. Be aware. A little bit. Be aware of what's going on around you. Be strong. Yeah. So, being aware, according to this verse, is pretty much a big part of the battle. Just being aware of what's happening. And on your guard. Knowing that you've got an enemy. Knowing that your enemy is working against you. Knowing what his ploys are in your life. Even if you have to journal or map it out a little bit in your own life, because you're probably facing the same things over and over and over again because that's how he works. He's not particularly creative when it comes to how the devil works in your life and he will keep hammering you in the same area over and over and over again as long as it works. And even when you deal with it, after you deal with it, he'll still hammer you in that area to test it out to make sure that it actually has been conquered. And he's actually been overcome. But after a while, after a while, when you're living in victory, he'll leave you you alone. But that's after a while. So being aware of the battle, being aware of the spiritual influences, being aware of what's going on, that's going to make a difference. You're going to be on it. You're going to be able to come against it. You're going to be able to recognize it for what it is. You're going to be able to defend, attack. Fix it. Resist the devil. Have him flee from you. That's what happens. Okay, next command. Do not live in fear. All right, so our command so far. Be strong. Be courageous. Third one, do not live in fear. do not live in fear. Here okay, we've got some verses I'll give you we're going to go three at a time. Philippians: 128 Philippians 4 six and seven and first Timothy uh, I bet you thats second Timothy. That's what we just read. 2 Timothy 1.7. So Philippians 1.28. Somebody read that? <laughs> Philippians one twenty eight. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved in that by God. Okay, you know, it's kind of interesting. It's like, don't be frightened in any way. In any way. By those that oppose you. And, and not only does he say that, and, and this is important to what we're talking about, but that will be a sign to them. You ever notice that? That when you're not afraid, when people expect you to be afraid, that kind of freaks them out. It really does that freaks them out Uh, I'm not particularly afraid of people Uh, sometimes I you know I I battle with certain things and stuff but I am not particularly afraid of people I remember one time uh, we were me Martha and I think it was Matt Manuel were in Ghana and there was a particularly large individual (laughs) in in a cyber cafe there that was particularly large and threatening toward martha because she was trying to use a computer to do something we were sending emails it wasn't a time before wi-fi was so big in africa and so we had to use cafes in order to do that and so this guy for some unknown reason just freaked out on martha and was trying to tip her out of her chair and and threatening her to move. And uh, I don't know what happened, I just, I snapped. I was sitting a few down, I waited for her to handle it because normally she handles stuff. But this guy was crazy, like crazy. And so I jumped up out of my seat and I started going toward him. And this guy, I can't tell you how big this guy was, it was was Mm -hmm. comical. He was so large, <laughs> and I started going toward him, and he just freaked out. I could see it in him too, and I, and, you know, I sniffed that just immediately. I saw him kind of freak out <laughs> as I was coming toward him, and and he just like got he stopped what he was doing, and I picked up a chair or something. I was I was just heading right toward him, and he started screaming at me. I started yelling at him, and, and he just kept saying over and over "You're crazy." You're crazy, I'm gonna take you out and bury you out in the bush, you know where you are and all this other stuff talking to me and I' just going off on the guy and they finally he just he just stood there so long that the guys that were running the cyber cafe picked him up literally and carried him out the door <laughs> and we sat back down and did the rest of our uh, email but it was what was funny about it was nothing happened except for a bunch of yelling, this guy was. Huge. huge. I mean, big, really big. And it freaked him out. Because apparently, I just wasn't afraid of it. And he could not understand that. Just couldn't get it. And because he couldn't understand it, I think, he didn't know what to do. And so I read a verse like that, it makes perfect sense to me. And I've seen that happen over and over again. People. They just don't know what to do. It says, don't be afraid in any way. And and again, these are written out as commands, aren't they? Not suggestions, not something. Well, it's optional. If you don't want to be afraid in any way, you know. (laughs) But, and you might think to yourself, well, that's easy for you to say. No, it's not. No, it's not. And I could probably tell five or six other stories from, especially from being overseas, about different things that have happened like that where it's just like, no, you know, I'm I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of what you're doing. I'm not afraid of what you can do to me, and that freaks them out. And so I I just want to just say, and I know some of you have had similar experiences. I mean, Aaron's told me stories like that. Uh, and I know others have told me stories like that where I don't know what it is, something comes over you and you're just not afraid. And as we're reading through this, it's like, it's part of not living in fear. It's part of not expecting the worst. It's part of living in such a way that you got a confidence that's greater than what you're going to face. Not in yourself, but in God. Alright, Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah, don't be anxious about anything, but go to God with it. Again, it's not a, its not really that optional. It's—it's it's, this is this is a command. God's provision over us not to live in fear is to take our fears to Him. To, to go and talk to Him about it. To hand those off to someone that we know can handle it. That's His provision for us. That's His provision in our lives. 2 Timothy 1.7 we just read, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. But he's given us a sound mind. He's given us things that we need. He's given us the tools that we need to combat that. Because that's the rest of that verse. I'll give you three more verses. Isaiah 41.10. 1 John 4.18 and Revelation 1.17. I'll give you those again. Isaiah 41.10. First John four eighteen and Revelation one seventeen. Somebody have Isaiah forty one ten. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Alright, so what I want you to see from these verses is that when God has given us a command, are you starting to pick up a little theme here? God gives us a command, but then he provides the means by which we can obey. <clears throat> and so the real, the real decision, like the, the, the real battle for us isn't so much the, the, the actual living it out part, which is the part we're afraid of, the real problem for us is making a solid decision in the first place. Making a commitment to a decision to live a certain way because God has commanded it. Because the rest of it He he offers to us. I'll be your strength. I'll I'll hold you up in my right hand. Don't be dismayed because I'm with you. I'm your God. I haven't given you a spirit of fear but of a sound mind and all the rest of the things He promises us. You can cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. You don't have to live in fear. All All of these things, He makes provision for us. But we need to make a solid decision first to even, even get to that part. It's like that's the good part. That's the living part. That's the part of actually going through life with it. And that's where we recognize, that's where we receive all that God has. Did you want to say? No, sorry. Uh, okay, 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. How many fears are in love? Zero. zero fears. Okay? <laughs> there are zero fears in love. All right? that, that's what that verse says. And so, it, it kind of concludes, it does conclude, not kind of. It goes through a process. Zero fears in love. In fact, God's perfect love, or his complete love, his whole love in our life, casts fear out. Why? Because there's zero fears in love. So, he says if you find yourself afraid, so you have zero plus whatever fears you have, <laughs> he says you're not living in perfect love. Does that make sense to everybody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that's the problem. And so not only, so, he tells you what the problem is, but what's the solution? Perfect love. Living in it. Making your decisions. MAKING YOUR DECISIONS. It's like that scene in Empire Records One word's like... <gasps> Take that sucker out. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Got to make your decisions. Mm. Revelation 117. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. <laughs> But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Alright. So even at the end, when we're getting the, like the, the part where, uh, you know, we're getting the revelation, where we got John. Again, I always point this out because it's a shocking moment here. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> he rested his head on Jesus' chest. He was close physically to Jesus, close to him. The closest of all disciples to Jesus. Or none closer. None. (laughs) Not one? Zero closer. (laughs) No, not one. Than John. And yet, when he saw Jesus glorified, he fell at his feet as dead. Not running up to give him a big teddy bear hug. Not going up and put his head in his chest again like he'd done. He yeah, not only did he looked different, he was different. And, and John, his reaction, even though he knew it was Jesus, he knew it was him, and he'd seen him glorified, right? Jesus appeared to the disciples, so he he saw him. And he fell at his feet as a dead man. Jesus touched him. He touched him. He said, fear not. I'm the first, I'm the last. In other words, I'm all you need to know. <laughs> Alright? I'm everything you need to know. So, I, I, want you to, I want you to think about that for a second. That he's addressing fear. He's addressing fear through his own love and his own relationship with John. And he's not only reminding him, he's commanding him. Don't fear. Don't fear. But then he put his hand on him. He's like, I'm everything you need. Everything. So, again, somewhere along the line, John had made a decision not to live in fear. And even though in that moment, in that second, he was afraid, didn't he receive the provision he needed? Yeah, He received the provision he needed, he was able to get it, and get up, and go on with what was going to happen. That's how we got the whole book of Revelation. Because he was able to get up, he was able to not fear. He was able to receive the love of Jesus. He was able to receive that the words of Jesus said, I'm all you need. Well, he is all he needs. And he got up and he went about his business. (coughs) So, you know, what this shows me is that it's not not like, well, you know, I made the decision and that's it. Well, you'll face a, a challenge on that. But the challenge has provision behind it. It has provision behind it. And that's what I've been talking about. God gives us provision. However you want to describe it. And it's described in different ways. The Holy Spirit giving us a sound mind. The Holy Spirit helping us not to live in fear. It's it's given through the perfect love of the Father. That that kind of a, a visual, that kind of an understanding. Is Jesus putting His hand on His back? Fear not. I'm all you need. However you want to hear that. However you want to see that, however you want to receive that, in your moment, he's there. He's there. But John had made a commitment. He wasn't going to live in fear. He was in prison for what he believed. He'd already faced it down. The rest of the apostles were dead because they didn't live in fear. And they faced it down right to death right to the end alright the next one do not be dismayed do not be dismayed I looked up the word dismayed and it literally means a breakdown of courage a breakdown of courage and so we have already courageous up top right we looked at courageous All right. Do not be dismayed, do not allow your courage, do not be disheartened, do not allow your courage to be broken down. And the the way they described it in the dictionary was uh, by surprise attack. In other words, they they used it in a a sentence, the surprise attack of the enemy dismayed the army. In other words, the surprise attack (laughs) broke down their courage. So, it's a way for us to look at it. Like, how does that happen? How do we become dismayed? Well, it could be a number of different things. It could be a bunch of things at once. It could be an overwhelming thing that takes place in our life. It could be something that completely takes us out of the blue or completely surprises us. But we're commanded not to be dismayed. It's a command. And so we have to make a hard and fast decision. Say, I won't be dismayed. I'm not going to do it. I won't do it. The verses I have for you, we've already read one. Isaiah 41.10. Somebody want to read that one again? Isaiah 41.10. Don't worry because I am with you. Don't be afraid because I am your God. I'll make you strong and I'll help you. I'll support you with my right hand. Okay. John 14.27. peace I leave with you my peace I give you I do not give you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid Yeah. do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid <clears throat> so you look at these verses and I was saying on Sunday I, I looking at that verse in particular how uh, I just keep repeating that I will not let my heart be troubled. And it's specifically for fighting against being dismayed. And say, I won't let my heart be troubled. I will not. Why? Because Jesus told me not to. And for no other reason I'm going to obey Him. For no other reason Nothing else I can think of. Nothing else I can come up with in my own mind. I don't have to make something up. He told me not to be dismayed. He told me not to let my heart be troubled. I won't let it happen. And I will fight it every step of the way. That's a commitment we have to make. That was John 14, 27. So I have a few more Verses for us. He ends this. These commands. He says I am the Lord your God. So he ends it by saying. This is who I am. Talking about himself. I'm the Lord your God. In other words. He's reminding us. We're obligated. To obey him. He says I'm commanding you. And he signs it. I am the Lord your God. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So that's, that's. That's our obligation, alright, to obey Him in these things. And then He says, as He always does, I'll be with you everywhere you go. In other words, you're obligated to obey this, and the way you're going to do it is I'm going to be with you. And that's how it's going to happen. So He he doesn't just tell us to do (coughs) something without giving us the means. He doesn't just command us to do something without giving us the ability to see it through and, and to be able to, to walk it through. I've got some other verses for you about God being with us. Uh, Zephaniah 3.17 Three, what, 13, Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. All right, so this is a great picture. If you don't know this verse, this is a great one to memorize here or there. But this is a great picture of God. He's a mighty warrior. He loves you. He takes notice of you, and he's going to care for you and in fact he's gonna sing over you that's how happy he is he's not gonna rebuke you he's not gonna cause you any harm he, he just wants the best for you and he's gonna take care of you In fact, he sings over us and I, that, that's the part of the verse that some versions say he exalts over us but it, basically he worships he sings he's happy with us and, and that's our warrior God that's our warrior God that is taking care of us. That's our warrior God that's always with us. That's our warrior God that is looking out for us and loves us so much he's singing over us. We got good coverage. Okay, Matthew twenty-eight twenty. Teach them to obey everything that I have taught you and I will be with you always even until the end of this age. All right, God's with us. How does he start that, though? Again, teach them. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to what? Obey. Obey. They're obligated to. And I don't know how to explain this any more clearly. We are obligated to this. Teach them to obey all things that I've commanded you. But how are we going to do that? Well, I'm with you even until the end of the age. So we're given the command of obedience again, just like we are in Joshua, at the end of Matthew, at the end of Jesus' ministry. He's about to head up into heaven. he like, says it again, Obey. How are we going to do that? I'm with you. Same in Joshua 1.9. Obey. How? I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, Hebrews 13.5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said... Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. All right. Never. Those are the words I I, I pull out of that. Uh, You can see the context of it, whatever. But never will I leave you. And never will I forsake you. Which is kind of interesting because we sometimes forsake him. But he says he never will forsake us. So it's one less thing to worry about. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, either the present or the future, nor any powers, either height or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Alright. So, we got the, I am with you always, and I'll never leave or forsake you, and then you got Paul explaining every way he can think of that we won't be separated from God. Alright, just in case you're confused about never. If the word never was confusing, he goes through a list of things that can't separate us from God. He could include other things on that list because nothing can separate us from God. There's all kinds of stuff that could be on that list, but he just goes through a bunch of them so that he's driving the point home. We, We have a... Relationship, we have a thing going, <laughs> right? and he's with us. Right, I'm going to spend a few minutes. Uh, turn to Revelation 21:8. I'm just going to take a couple minutes on this. This is the kind of the antithesis of what we're looking at, because sometimes every now and then it, it helps to look at. You know, <clears throat> Alright, so Revelation twenty one eight. I don't, let me see I have kind of an interesting version going here Let's see what I can come up with Alright It says, but as for the cowardly that's not good, right? The faithless the detestable murderers sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And I've always found, the ones that really strike me on this are the cowardly and the faithless. And of course, liars. But the cowardly and the faithless always strike me in this list. And they're really the first two. And and so, I I, I want to encourage you that there's something more to this command that you really need to take into consideration. And and that is, and I think what this verse does is it re-emphasizes this is an obligation. This is not optional. And so, I want to encourage you to that. Not in a bad way, But I want to just reiterate this, that this is no way to live. This is not a productive way to live. This is not a way to live that is going to lead to to kingdom success at all. In fact, it leads to failure. And God commands us to success. He commands us to non-failure. He commands us to fruitfulness in the kingdom. If we'll listen, if we'll heed it. And so not only does He give us the command for it, He gives us the means by which to do it. The only point of failure is not obeying. To start with. That is the point of failure. Otherwise, we've got all kinds of options. And the warrior God is with us. The warrior God... Is delighting over us. The warrior God is singing over us. So let's obey it. Let's make that decision. Let's make whatever decision we need to make to to do what God's called us to do to be strong, to be courageous, to not live in fear, to not be dismayed. Because God's with us, He's with you, He's with me. So let's take a couple minutes, and uh, all I'm going to encourage you to do, and we'll just take a moment here, to to just respond to that, and, and let's make some de- just, just make some decisions, whatever you can do tonight. I see this as a simple decision. I really do. Uh, I can't imagine overcomplicating this, but I'm sure someone has figured out a way.
1: But I really want to
0: encourage you to just make a simple decision tonight. to obey, to obey what God has commanded us to do. Father, I thank you for your command over our lives, and I recognize uh, my obligation to obey. Because I thank you tonight that you love me. I thank you tonight that you've given your life for me. I thank you tonight that you've given me hope, and you've given me a future. I thank you tonight that you died for me, and that my sins are forgiven. I thank you tonight that you shed your blood, that your body was broken for me, that I might have a life, and that more abundantly. And so I I hear your command. We hear your command. We want to respond to you. We want to respond to you as is our obligation according to what you have spoken, according to what Jesus spoke, according to what the apostles spoke, Thank you for your provision over our lives. I thank you that you're with us. I praise you as a warrior God who sings over his people and who loves us and who gives us strength and power. Who's always with us. I praise you as the God who sends us the Holy Spirit. Who really pours out power on us. Who pours out love. Who pours out a sound mind. I thank You, God, that You you give us someone that we can give our cares to. That Jesus, You're willing to hear us and You're willing to take our cares upon You because You care for us. Thank You for a Father that has perfect love that He shares and gives to us. Your perfect love would drive out fear in our hearts and our lives as we receive that perfect love. God, I just pray for no more excuses. I pray for no more excuses to live a certain way. God, I pray for a new decision, a solid decision, and I pray, God, for a new day. A new moment, a new time, as we move forward from here. Yeah, we give you thanks tonight. And thanks for your provision, and thanks that you're with us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. That's that, so thank you for coming tonight. Good to see everybody.